Something happens in North America from about mid-October, just after Halloween shuts down. <clears throat> November 1st, Christmas, ah, just the, the marketing machine kind of takes over, right? And it can be a little bit overwhelming. I don't know why, if it's my uh, tendency to be attracted to bright and shiny things, I'm always intrigued with um, advertising. And what I particularly get a charge out of is advertising fails, marketing fails, things that just do not work. And of course, when you go online, you can find all kinds of things. And I was thinking about the Christmas story. There's something about the Christmas story that by 21st century standards, the Christmas story, I wonder if it was a marketing fail. And let me explain what I mean by that. Here's an example of a marketing fail. Um, I don't know how this happened, but somehow the sign got put on upside down on this truck. That just doesn't work. There's another marketing fail. Free tacos yesterday. I mean, who's going to respond to that? I don't know what they were thinking. I guess they saved themselves a lot of money. Unfortunately, sometimes marketing fails are accidental. It's when you talk about childhood obesity right next to a McDonald's sign. It just doesn't work. You know, it's kind of an incongruity there. Um, and then there are really sophisticated marketing fails. Let me explain this one. This happened a couple of years ago. Oprah was uh, raving about the new Microsoft Surface tablet. And she says, literally, gotta say that, gotta love that Surface. I brought 12 already for, gris for Christmas gifts, okay? Unfortunately, she sent this from her iPad. So, so I love these things. I want to buy them for my friends. I don't use it myself, mind you, but uh, other people might like it. Anyway, when we think of marketing fails, I think of the unlikely people that God chose to witness about him in the New Testament. Unlikely people. And I'm wondering, was this a marketing fail? What was God thinking when he chooses unlikely people to share the good news about Jesus. You would think, if we did things the right way, quote unquote, the proper way, the proper 21st century way, we would get all the coolest celebrities and most attractive people and the hippest people to say, Jesus can change your life. Now it's true Jesus can change your life, but why does God choose such unlikely, and unlikely by our standards, spokespeople for his cause. Why does he do that? We're going to look at two stories this morning. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and the first story I'm going to read you is in John chapter 4. Now, oh, those high-tech things we used last week, what are they called? Bibles, right. John chapter 4. Someone want to tell me what page it is? 812. Whoa, page 812. Just for the halibut, let's use our pew bottles today. Um, page 804, John 4. And here's a story. I'm going to skim over it and just hit the highlights because I want us to, to we're going to look at two stories this morning about Jesus, God choosing unlikely people to witness about Jesus. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it wasn't really Jesus who was baptizing, it was John. I'm starting at verse 1. 
So he left Judea and went back to Galilee. So the pressure's getting hot. Um, Jesus is not popular with the ruling authorities, and he's feeling the heat. So he leaves the area around Jerusalem and goes back to his hometown area in Galilee, which is north. But the problem with going to Galilee is that you have to go through a rougher part of town, kind of a rough part of neighborhood, kind of where all the Jewish people would make sure they locked the doors and put the club in their vehicles. That was kind of the they go through Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. I won't get into why, but it was just a long-standing racial, religious, prejudice, and hatred. They despised each other. Okay? So Jesus is kind of walking through hostile territory, and it's really hot in the middle of the day, and he plunks himself down in this village right beside a well that... Um, was a very old and traditional well. It was actually built by one of the patriarchs, Jacob. And he sat down, it was noon, so blazing hot. We can't understand at this time of year in Winnipeg how hot it was, but it was really hot. It was stinking hot, okay? It was so hot, and he's parched, and he plunks himself down by the side of the well, and this woman comes with a big clay pot to draw water out of the well, and he asks her for a drink. <gasps> And this is very unusual. I'm, I'm skipping down to uh, verse 9 here. The Samaritan woman says to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And in that culture, a man wouldn't be talking to a woman in public alone. It just wasn't proper. Okay? And Jesus said to this woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman scratches her head. Well, it's not quite in the Bible, but I think she must have been scratching her head by the way, saying, What the dickens is this guy talking about? You've got nothing to draw with. You've got no bucket, no pot, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? And Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this lady says, Oh, I want me some of that. Where can I get this water that you're talking about? And Jesus says, Okay, well, go get your husband and bring it back here. Well, <clears throat> don't really have a husband. And Jesus says, Yeah, I know. You've been with five different men. And um, they've all divorced you. And the guy you're with now, um, you're not married to. And she was astonished. <laughs> and she said, you must be a prophet. Wow. And then, there, it's funny, sometimes when, when you're on the spot like that, people want to get, when they feel the heat of God's conviction, they want to get into kind of a religious conversation. So she chimes, tries to change the subject and talk about where people should worship. It's a little bit like um, people chatting between about being Catholic or Protestant or something like that, or what's better, or the priest says this, or we do this. And those really aren't hard issues. Those are important and interesting, but they're really secondary things. The primary thing that God is interested in is in our heart. And Jesus gets to that a little bit later in the chapter, saying it doesn't. what, what really matters is that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Anyway, she puts up some more red flags, and Jesus says, basically, don't worry about where we worship, but just worship in spirit and truth. 
And she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming and he's going to tell us everything that we need to know. And Jesus says, that's me. Guess what? You just met him. Nice to meet you. I'm the Messiah. And she's like, wow. So the disciples come back. They're astonished, as usual, at what Jesus is doing. Talking to a woman. It's like, what are you doing? And a Samaritan woman. And this lady leaves her water jar there, takes off into town, and says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Down in verse 30, if you're following along. They came out of town and made their way toward him. So, this woman that Jesus chose was so unlikely. Let me go through some of the reasons why. Case study number one, Samaritan woman in John 4. She was the wrong gender. Not that God doesn't love women, but it's just, it was inappropriate for Jesus in that culture to be talking to a woman alone in public. Um, she was the wrong race, Jews versus Samaritans, right? I mean, Samaritans were, as far as the Jews are concerned, Samaritans were the scum of the earth, literally. They were, you just didn't have anything to do with them. This lady had the wrong reputation. She had likely been shunned by the community. You have to read into the story. In a really hot climate, when do you do all your outside chores? In the early morning, in the late evening. And yet, at high noon, here's this woman coming to get water out of the well. Why? Because likely she had been shunned by other people in the community, and she didn't want to endure the gossip and slander and the put-downs and the dirty looks that she would get from everybody else in the village. So she came up when everyone else was having their siesta, hiding from the sun, and she would do her chores then. It would be kind of like us sneaking out in the dead of night to do things because we just don't want to be seen. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you see someone in the grocery store and you kind of dart around the corner. No, you've, you've probably never felt that way. I, I have a friend who used to do that. But that's how it was. It was really awkward. She had a bad reputation. And she had the wrong relational history. She had a, a, a string of, I guess it was serial monogamy, you could call it, but five divorces. And in that culture, a woman could not divorce a man, which means that five men in a row had said, we're done, you're out the door. For whatever reason or whatever happened, this woman had been used and abused. I think she probably felt like a used she felt so poorly about herself. And yet Jesus chooses to tell her about this living water. What would it feel like to be able to consume something that wouldn't leave you with a hangover, it wouldn't make you lose your job, it wouldn't lose your family, it wouldn't cause an addiction, it wouldn't hurt you, but give you life instead. That's this living water that he's talking about. A fresh, fresh relationship with God. On a really hot day, a drink of water can be so refreshing, right? Nothing like it as we rehydrate. Our bodies are like 80% water, so we need water. But this living water that will never thirst again, that's what Jesus is offering. And this lady says, I'm in. I am so in. And she goes and bangs on the door of all the people who hate her and despise her in that village. And people come and hear about Jesus. And the story continues. 
She brings this crowd of people. I mean, first of all, the disciples are trying to figure out what the dickens is Jesus up to. That's another story. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. I'm down in verse 39, if you're following along. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now that we've heard for ourselves that we know this man really is the Savior of the world. So God used such an unlikely person to tell the story about Jesus. It is so cool. Now, case study number two. This is found in Luke chapter 2. And this is what I call the small ruminants workers, Bethlehem local 006. They were the shepherds in the Christmas story. I promised my daughter, the veterinarian, I'd work in small ruminants into a sermon sometime. That basically means goats and sheep. Okay? So these shepherds were so unlikely. Here they are. Um, it's in Luke chapter 2. We're not going to take the time to read the story right now. But they were in the middle of the night working the graveyard shift, uh, looking after their flocks. Now, what's interesting about this story is that, first of all, one angel shows up and it says, what does the angel say? First thing an angel says to a human being, what do they usually say? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Okay? Just stay calm and carry on. That's, that's what, because, what do you read into that? Angels must be pretty awesome, scary beings. One appears to you, it's like, whoa, maybe or maybe not. You'll tell me stories about angels afterwards. And I know people who have literally seen angels, and I believe them because they're credible people. I don't believe everything I hear, but I believe it from credible people. At any rate, this angel appears, and people are freaking out. He says, don't be afraid, I've got really good news for you. And then, in the middle of nowhere, this amazing angel choir shows up, and it is a rock show a sound and light show like no one else has ever seen. A few years ago, my son and I went to the U2 concert at the old football stadium before they tore it down. Really glad I wore earplugs. It was awesome. I mean, I was so tired after standing for six hours straight. But I almost, I could have touched Bono. I, he was walking over my head and then, you know, I would have got thrown out of the concert, so I didn't try it. But I thought, wow, that was, and it was an amazing show. It took days to set up and days to tear down. But you know what? That show had nothing on what the shepherds saw that night. Because bam, it just appeared out of the darkness. One angel, and then boom, this huge host. How many is in a host? I don't know, a lot. A lot of angels singing to God. How many shepherds were there? Not very many. Not very many. And they see this. And they say, we've got to go check this out. They run to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem's not a big town. And there likely aren't too many babies lying in mangers in Bethlehem. So they found Jesus lying in a manger and Mary and Joseph. And they worshipped him and they shared stories. And then they went home. And then, but they, they alerted the whole town. They woke up the whole town knocking on doors. You won't believe what we've seen. Now, there's some serious problems with the shepherds being witnesses to Jesus. Serious issues. We think, in our culture, we think, what a nice story. I think I'll put it on a Christmas card. It'll look nice. We'll sing Silent Night. It's so awesome. Have I ever told you about my secret ambition to design scratch and sniff Christmas cards? 
Because we don't talk about the smells of Christmas very often. Maybe I just grew up in a barn and sometimes I still act like a, I know I, I didn't grow up in a barn. I used to work in one. But there's something about that earthy reality of that. It's like, it's not romantic. It's not a hallmark moment. It's really gritty. These people were basically refugees on, their, on the run somewhere, being forced out of circumstance in unfamiliar territory. But God uses unlikely people to get his message out. So the problem with the shepherds were this. They're, they had credibility issues. Shepherds in those days were not recognized as reliable witnesses in courts. There's actually part of the Jewish law, a shepherd who's not allowed to testify. So something happens in the middle of the night. These shepherds say, you'll never believe what I saw. Brian, it would have been on CJFB. It would have been a headline, right? But can you really believe it? How do you verify the story? Just amongst the shepherds, oh yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, sure. What have they been smoking out in the middle of the nowhere on the graveyard ship? Come on, it's just shepherds. They're low numbers. They're, how many actual eyewitnesses? Probably just a handful of shepherds. They wouldn't need a whole bunch of people. Likely less than 10. The problem from a spiritual point of view, they had low religious observance. What that means, they were, according to Jewish law, they were ritually unclean because of their work requirements. They would have to work with dead animals. They'd be unclean. They just weren't allowed in regular places of worship. And there'd be no independent confirmation of the event. <coughs> This thing happened in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, to a bunch of nobodies, really. That's what happened. That was the problem with it. So these, these people lived on the fringes of acceptable society. So we got a problem. We have a credibility issue. These amazing things happen. And God, why does God choose to use unlikely people? Because, you know, we are impressed. We live in a celebrity culture. You know, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow goes on Goop to tell us to buy stuff or whatever. She's millions of followers. Or someone has millions of followers on Twitter. Or people are obsessed with the Kardashians or whatever Brad and Angelina are doing or blah, blah, blah. People prowl and um, troll and hunt down these celebrities and they stake out the hospital whenever a royal baby's going to be born. You know, like photographers spend days and days and days in there fighting for the best place on the sidewalk so they can catch a glimpse of somebody important going in the side door of the hospital. Well, nothing like that happened in Bethlehem. God appears in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, to a bunch of nobodies and said, Hey, I'm here. Messiah's here. Jesus walks through a really sketchy neighborhood and talks to a lady who has a very sketchy reputation. He tells her how to have living water. She brings the whole neighborhood to meet Jesus, and the whole neighborhood is transformed. So why does God use such unlikely people? This is a passage from 1 Corinthians 1 that I want to leave you with as a source of challenge and encouragement. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that, why? 
Read this next line together. No one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom for wisdom, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I like bragging. I try not to brag about myself, because that's kind of arrogant. I usually get caught when I do that. But I love bragging about Jesus. I love boasting about Jesus because the way he changes people from the inside out, the way he uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes, I love that about God. I love these things in the Christmas story where God uses unlikely people. Like a, a young peasant girl who's not married. All of a sudden, boom, you could have a baby. Um, Zachariah and his wife were too old to conceive. All of a sudden, they had a baby, John the Baptist. The shepherds, as primary witnesses to Jesus coming. Um, a bunch of foreign astrologers, the wise men, showing up to, to worship Jesus when the, the people who should have known who Jesus was ignored him and ultimately killed him. Jesus came for people who are broken and messed up. Since we're in a spirit of confidentiality, I'm going to confide something in you that's not inappropriate. Maybe we can just stay calm. But Pastor Justina and I have wondered at times, we, we wanted to put on the church sign, are you messed up? So are we. Come and join us on Sundays. But we thought, Maybe that I don't want to make anybody feel bad. But we're all messed up in some way. And I don't know. Maybe that's not wise. But Jesus comes for those of us who are messed up. For those of us who recognize our need. He says he comes for those who are spiritually poor. They recognize their poverty of spirit. People who recognize their need for spiritual transformation and change. He doesn't come for the people who seemingly have it all together or maybe posing and pretending. He comes for those of us who are needy and broken. And that's why this Samaritan woman grabbed onto what he was saying, saying, wow, I could use some of this living water. And when he calls her up, when he, when he identifies what her core problem is, she doesn't run away from that. She says, yeah, you're right, I need this. And in fact, I love it so much, I'm going to share it, even with all these people who hate me. The shepherds went in and woke up the whole neighborhood in the middle of the night telling people about what they had seen about Jesus. They couldn't help it. It was just spontaneous. I love the fact that God chooses the lowly things of this world and unlikely people. Why? So we know very clearly it is an act of God. It is God's power transforming us. We tend to rely on ourselves because we're so into control and fear ourselves, to look good and justify ourselves in God's presence. God says, ha! I've called you. I know what you're doing. Stop that. Cut it out right now. And follow me. Give me all of your pain, all of your shortcomings, all of your weaknesses, and I'll transform you. I'll change you from the inside out. That's the deal. Amazing. We give God all of our junk, all of our baggage, all of our failures, all of our fears, all of the stuff that drags us down. And he adopts us, loves us, and promises to change us. 
continue to transform us. That's how it works. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we give stuff at Christmas. Because of what God has given us. I'm going to resist going off on a tangent about present buying and stuff like that, but I want you to know that, folks. And the beautiful thing about Christmas is that God chooses such unlikely people um, to be in his family, to be welcomed. And that's what that's the invitation that he's extending to us. And I want to encourage you, maybe you feel unlikely and overlooked. God says, perfect, I can use somebody like you. Because when we are weak, then he is strong. Then he can show forth his power in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we need you. We are messed up according to your standards. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us a spiritual hunger for you, a desire to turn over control to you, that we give you all our fears and failures and shortcomings, and we know that with you, we can accomplish anything you call us to do, and anything you call us to be. So we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall in this place right now. We can't do it in our own power. We're helpless to change ourselves, but you can change us. And Holy Spirit, you can change our attitudes, our desires, our actions, the way we think. We commit these things to you in the name of Jesus. And Father, I would like to thank you for all the unlikely witnesses that have gone on before us. We are going to have a great time swapping stories in heaven about how Jesus transforms us. So we commit these things confidently to you in Jesus' name.